Welcome back, friends. It's Franco time. We gave you a week off, um, but we're back. And this time we're packing in, how many is it? 13? Uh, 13, yes, we are. I'm going to pump 13 movies into this uh, single episode for you. That's why we gave you a break. Let that, let the, yeah, everything, you know, go back to its normal size before we fill you with 13 inches of Franco. You know, I bet he did not. I mean, we've seen it. Um, I don't, I, I imagine, as we've touched on a little, I bet he was not all that great with the peen. But everywhere else, I think he probably made up for it and then some. I bet he, yeah, I bet he could eat pussy like a champ and... Oh, like one of the best, I bet. Like truly a legend. I think he was probably just really good at sitting, you know, a few feet away <laughs> and smoking a cigarette and watching behind glasses. <laughs> yep. I think that's where he really uh, excelled. Yep. Well, um, yeah, this is gonna be fun because we're uh, we've pretty much arrived uh, in a territory where most of what we talk about is firmly uh, very Franco, very very Franco. So we're in the we're in the meat, we're in the meat, we're in the seventies where he would make like fourteen movies a year. So. <laughs> yeah, this, if he can make that many movies a year, we can do thirteen movies in an episode. That's how we feel. So that's that is exactly how we feel. And you're gonna all marvel at just how swiftly we do this. Yep. Before we potentially have guests on to also shoulder the load with us. Yep. Yep. So. Yep. We'll bring some people that uh, will be more eloquent than us. And, uh, you know, liven it up a little. Absolutely. I guess we should just say off top, since we never, I never, and you never remember to do this at the beginning, we have some shows coming up. Yep. Give you a heads up. We have a show coming up next week. Yep. August 2 2. August 2 2, Tuesday. We are going to be doing highs and lows. We're going to do uh, Project X with uh, Wildwood, New Jersey, and we will have the director of Wildwood, New Jersey, on hand for a Q and A. Ruth Lightman will be in the house, so fill that shit up so she has a nice time. This Absolutely. movie, this movie is is a lot more popular than it's ever been, but still not nearly as much as it should be. So let's give her a Chicago welcome. And then uh, we had just added a show, September 2nd, Music Box Theater, Saturday, 2.30 p.m. We are going to be paying tribute to the one, the only, the late, great William Friedkin with his masterpiece, uh, Sorcerer. So come and check. And we're putting together a tribute video for him. Where we'll celebrate all sorts of shit. Um yeah. Maybe some stuff you haven't seen before. Hopefully you'll leave that tribute excited and heartwarmed and also with a list of stuff to check out. Um, hit the Patreon. Hit the Wait, Patreon. September though, as well. We also oh, have yeah. another highs and lows, September 27th, uh, where we'll be showing a super duper rare 
um, bordering on one of a kind, maybe 35 millimeter print of Ringo Lam's Prison on Fire, followed by um, a movie that will shock you and how well it can actually keep up. Be showing uh, John McTiernan's remake of Rollerball. Yeah, that's going to be both 35 millimeter. So that's going to be a fun show. And then we'll have more stuff after that. Less stuff now due to recent shakeups in the micro cinema scene of Chicago. Spoiler. Fuck the, fuck the city of Chicago, as always. Yeah. Had, yeah, let's let's see how mad you are. We were really prepared to really double and triple up our screenings in the city with Joe Swanberg, but so the cats out of the bag. That was something we were gonna do that we can't do anymore. So if you want to help maybe get that back on track somewhere else, might we remind you we have a Patreon. So if you want to hit up Oscar bait Patreon, five bucks a month, get exclusive content, extra stuff. Extra Franco. Extra Franco. Yeah. And even or not, the first exclusive Franco we did, it was good. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was good. And, 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 and yeah. And, but until we see or they tell us we can't we'll, we'll give you extra stuff on there so we're yep. definitely fulfilling more than some of these other patreons are doing so uh check that out if you want to help m- make sure that we can continue to do more and more programming throughout the city of chicago and potentially elsewhere so also, if you ever have places that we maybe don't know about in chicago let us know we would love to we would love to spread it all around the city do all sorts of different shit so there's stuff that you think maybe we should be doing at different places let us know yeah we're gonna get involved in another city very soon so if you also in another city somewhere in the country hit us up if you have ideas we you know we can only do so much but we you never know just like franco we are getting pretty good at doing a whole hell of a lot with not very much financial backing. So just help us get a little backing so that <laughs> we, we can stomach all of this work that we're not getting paid for. So someone be someone be our Harry Allen Towers. Yeah, we, we need can it. Be our, our, our Arthur Bronner if you prefer. Either way, just <laughs> Yeah, our sugar baby daddy. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, okay. Yeah. Uh moving on to the real sugar daddy jess franco yep we left off with vampiros lesbos yep which is you know as you all well know and how we could have talked about it for days just one of the all-timers not just in franco land but in movie land yeah absolutely and maybe it'll be playing sooner than you think somewhere (laughs) due to due to the christian right Keep the peepers peeled because the uh, powers that be continue to um, not even really that slyly, but no one pays attention. So I guess slyly uh, take away uh, rights that most people who live in this country think are inherent to this country. <laughs> so, yep. The yeah. Christians are tightening their stranglehold on uh, being allowed to show um, sexually aberrant movies. So, yeah. So we'll give we'll fill you in more on that as when we get closer to the date. But today we got to stay on track because we got 13 movies to get through. So 
here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about basically the way I've divided it. We've divided it is into two sections. We're going to speak about within these 13 films. Uh, the first seven films plus an unfinished work we're going to discuss uh, quickly. But before we get to six of those, and we're going to show you how we're doing shit now. We're going to talk about the first one, the one that follows Vampiros Lesbo. One that is going to be surprisingly divisive for us. So we're going to start off with an interesting debate and try to keep it lean and mean. So we are talking about 1970s. She killed in ecstasy the follow-up with Soledad Miranda looking just... I, I don't know if you can honestly think of a more gorgeous woman actress or whatever in the history of cinema. In well, there's there's someone that uh, I don't think quite reaches the level, but goddamn, does she get close? That so we're going to talk about a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll get Woo! to we'll get to someone else. It's gonna be steamy, and my windows are open. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But we'll get to someone who's a little the. Uh, <laughs> The sluttier version. Soledad. Or uh, more out outwardly. Okay. okay. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Soledad. so powerful because she is almost on exclusively only internally slutty, which is a, a quite a power to wield. That's actually a good way of putting that. She has such a stare that to me, it saves this movie. Now, I just want to say right off top, I find that this is a movie that starts, in my opinion, a slowdown. I think Franco cooked as hard as anybody on earth possibly could with his previous movie. So I'm a little forgiving of this next one, even though I think it falls short compared to uh, coming off of such a hot movie. But I would say most of the heavy lifting in this movie and what makes it a recommended title for me is simply soledad yeah. like if, if you want to if there's one example of how a performance can carry a less than great movie this is a perfect example and i i mean i i the way she looks at you through the screen uh you know and it helps deliver basically a sexier uh diabolical dr z um yeah. I think this thing has a lot of great moments. We get to see that fucked up house from Count Countess Perverse on that island. Uh, I, I, you know, there's there's interesting things going on, but I also have a difficult time, chiefly with the music. Yeah. I find, I find the music to be so wrenchingly off and like completely flying in the face of what you're seeing even for most of it because visually i think it's not as eye grabbing as something like pierce lesbos i think he shot this movie pretty quickly uh, mm -hmm. obviously he didn't know he was going to lose his star soon so i think you know this is franco just kind of tossing off some you know how he typically likes to do but boy that score Especially coming off of Vampiros Lesbos, where that score is just, you know, everything. This is almost the opposite, where the score, I think, works against the movie. What's your opinion on this? Um, let's see. 
I guess I'll start with the score. Manfred Hubler, Siegfried Traub. Uh, I agree the score completely flies in the face of what it's paired up with for the entirety of this movie. I don't think there's a moment that it matches, but I think the tension that creates because it is so uh, unrelenting, <laughs> there's a lot of music. Um, I think the tension it creates eventually does work in its favor. I think it takes longer than it should, but I think like 25, 30 minutes into this movie, the tension between what you're seeing and the music that doesn't make any sense with it, once you uh, get past it, it starts to work, I think. I think it sets a good tone um, for also what's happening in the rest of the movie, which you mentioned is this, this movie is entirely Soledad's movie, right? That's yeah. why it, that's why it matters. But just like the score, she's also flying in the face of almost everything else that's happening in the movie um, from the script to almost everyone else act acting. There's also a tension there. So it's a movie of just weird, like, you know, magnets flip around and forced to try to touch each other, <laughs> I think. And I don't think it entirely works. I don't think this is like a secret masterpiece, but that tension, I think, is great if you just let yourself sit in it, you know. Yeah. If you can my best advice for this movie is to watch it as far as you can away from Vampires Lesbos. Yeah. Give yourself a break. Don't watch it immediately after. Because they're also so different and it seems like they're going to be, you know, kind of, uh, you know, two sides of the same coin, but I don't think they are at all. Um, they're promoted that way. You know what yes. I mean? Like, yeah. I feel like yeah. That, that's how it's, yeah. 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 But we get, so basically the story reworking Diabolical, Diabolical Dr. Z, like John said, uh, this is a another scientist who is doing something, uh, working with a lot of fetuses and shit. Um and the scientific community hates him, wants him done. Um, and at the beginning of the movie, they destroy his whole career, take everything, destroy his lab, all this shit. And so Soledad's like, nah, <laughs> I'm going to kill all you fools. So it's kind of like Bridie wore black, uh, mushed with Diabolical Dr. Z. Um, and we also get Jess... Um, playing a masochist fully finally and getting the death that he's clearly fantasized about since he hit puberty which is a uh sadist woman killing a masochist man tied to a chair and so yeah. you do get to see that happen and uh the look on jess's face is price of admission alone and then you add sold out on top of that i think you had a good time with the movie <laughs> I think that would be, yeah no that's enough to get you through it so yeah. And the pillar death, Ava Stromberg's <laughs> death in this movie is fucking awesome. The way Soledad kills her, it's so funny and weird. Very weird. <laughs> that is definitely the most standout like scene you're going to remember from this movie. Yeah. Um, it feels like there's uh, another movie in there, though, because the side characters do feel formed. It just feels like everything that was formed got trimmed out for whatever reason. Yeah, so. I, 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 yeah for whatever reason, uh, this movie just doesn't have the same cooking capabilities now you know this is going to be a problem for franco because his right now where he's going with his career it's soledad essentially you know on the front of the ship you know as the mass just like carrying him through so they shoot a movie called juliet following this 
uh, Juliet it remains unfinished. Oh. It, it uh, does pop up in another movie, right? Isn't there footage from Juliet? And uh, later on, we're a ways off, but <laughs> yeah, we're a way, yeah, we're a ways off, but <laughs> that will pop up. So we're not gonna. We can't say anything else about it because we don't know what it is. All we can do is wet your fucking whistle because the alternate title is Juliet Desaad. So this is, in theory, Juliet, uh, Justine's sister. Juliet being expanded upon where Soledad was going to play her and Paul Mueller also in this fucking movie. So yeah, yeah I, it's finished. I think anybody would be happy wanting that as opposed to what we got <laughs> next. So these next couple movies... I'm just going to listen because we're going to, I think we're just going to talk kind of like at large about them in a new experiment for the show. The following films before a really heavy, heavily creative period for Franco, maybe one of the most creative, he has to go through, I think, for varying results, for better or for worse, you know, kind of a, a weird, a weird time because as we have alluded, Soledad doesn't live much longer. In fact, she dies very soon after the devil came from Akasaba, a very lightweight movie that she's in. However, weirdly her final appearances in both that and she killed in ecstasy spoiler kind of like weirdly foreshadow her death yeah, in a fucked up, fucked up way, which another thing, the ending of she killed in ecstasy greatly adds. If you know what Soledad's demise is going to be, that is incredibly like blood curdling. And it is, the ending is beautiful. Even how you feel about whatever happened before the last like two minutes of she killed are really quite special. I think. Yeah. It, it ends abruptly, but maybe that is also part of this unknown foreshad cosmic foreshadowing of the very soon to be stabbed out life of uh, the beautiful Soledad. So she dies right after the devil came from Akasaba. She was driving to go make uh sign a contract with, uh, Franco and the producers to basically do more and more movies with them. Unfortunately, the asshole husband or her who's driving the car decides to crash it, kill her. He walks away fine. So great, great for that guy. And now we have lost one of the most like beautiful, enigmatically shining, illustrious actresses of all time. And I think that is going to take a massive a chunk out of a filmmaker who was clearly invested in having her be basically his his muse i mean this was clearly going to be the woman who like takes franco forward yeah like, and he i also imagine he probably foolishly whether consciously or not had leaned so much into that idea after losing his wife nicole that we've talked about a lot that I think it was a really big shock to the system because yeah. whether he said it out loud or not, I think all his grief about losing her was pumped, even though not them being together necessarily, but just the excitement of being around someone uh, who was so much fun to work with creatively and so talented. And he pumped all the pain from losing Nicole into the relationship with Soledad that never was. I mean, from what you hear talk about, people say about Soledad and what you can read, like she seemed like a once in a lifetime presence who was down for everything was just so a joy to be around. It radiated so much. She had to do so little on screen 
you can, I mean, you know, as far aside from the personal loss there, like for an artist to lose that, that's, 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 that's crippling. So after devil came from Akasava, he goes on a bit of a, I think, a, a I would say his time in the ditch, this would be his ditch series. Uh, no, and, yeah, okay. Well, not as cool as Neil Young's ditch series, but, uh, we're going to look at, uh, X three twelve flight to hell, the corpse packs his bags, the vengeance of Dr. Mabusa, which such so, such shame virgin report and the film we'll spend probably five seconds on robinson and his tempestuous slaves so <laughs> x312 i'm gonna try you i know you're gonna you try just, and you can't just completely go over devil came from akasava well what do you have to add to devil came from akasava that is gonna <laughs> not register with anybody who actually watches <clears throat> just real quick it's fun because the thing that Franco would do and had done already at this point, this is a fake adaptation, which I love. This is a fake Edgar Wallace book. They said this was based on. It's not real. None of this is real. It's a great way to promote a movie <laughs> yeah. to convince people. Um, we also had Alberto Dalbus, who will be in a lot of Franco stuff. This is the first time he's around. And of course, Soledad's nightclub scenes are amazing. And since we lost her and this was the last one, that's important. Um, and I don't think this movie's that terrible. I think it's not good at all. But as far as like the spy shit and these like weird sort of bond attempts, it's not as bad as Golden Horn, I will say. So if you made it through Golden Horn, you will find something to like. And Devil Came from Akasava. That's um, as good of praise as you could possibly muster up for that movie. Yeah, it's not. Remember, we have uh, things that we really want to talk about. I, I know. Would, that's it. That's it. Okay. I'm going on to the next. I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. And we probably have less to say about X312. Like, oh, no, I have more, but I'm going to temper it. Good. Um, this was, <laughs> this was going to star Soledad, yeah. uh, purportedly. It yeah. didn't. So I don't know. This one isn't, again, like from Deku Akasaba, they're not, these are not pleasureless movies. They're just yeah. not really worth anyone's time. And they're also not like worth. That's getting into yeah well you know that's the that's the that's the devil's pact you make when you make this many fucking movies and this many movies a year so you know i i think this is truly the ones we're going to talk about right now are truly for if you're wanting to go deep like we are because to the layman's to people just getting into franco these are not going yeah, hold to hold off for a while <laughs> hold off probably till the end of this whole thing <laughs> so, you know, X312 does uh, get to feature people in the jungle, which Franco loves to do. And I, even when some of those jungle movies aren't that good, I love the fauna. I love the, the ambience and those pull me through. But this is pretty, uh, pretty straightforward. One of these just kind of shockingly sober types of Franco movies that you wish you know, benefited a little more from his delirium, but I think he's a little, who knows what's going through his head. Maybe he's trying to play things straighter here. He doesn't know where his career is going to go now, but well, I think this is the first time we see him realizing he made a mistake getting in bed with another huge producer. Cause Arthur, uh, Arthur Brenner writes this one. Yeah. And same as the ones we talked about where, uh, Harry on towers wrote the movies 
God damn it, you can tell when they do because they love plot and they love exposition dialogue. Um, my theory why Franco did put as much effort as he did to in this one, it's loose, I know, but uh, I think he was attracted to the idea of a big group of people running from um, Chile at the time, which would be, you know, was a very bad place to be if you liked any semblance of freedom going to Brazil where the party was at. I don't think it's a stretch to say he's interested in that as he transitions into France for one of his greatest periods um, after leaving. And my, I really think he's, I know I'm stretching, but I really think this is him calling Bronner chili in this movie, <laughs> um, despite having to use his script. Um, but all, all I will mention, I promise, there's a really, just another, we talked about, there's a, a genuinely lovely lesbian moment in this that's played completely sweet um that Franco will return to and there's also an insane torture and rape sequence that's really good like really really good and it doesn't belong in this movie and so I think Franco just pumped everything into those moments and then because you can even tell it's like the Bruno Nicolai score because it's so subdued yeah it's compared to normal so I think he was just like just get it done we'll move on to the next one yeah, and um, yeah, he, this one this one has some pleasures, but not you know it's again not a certainly not a great time at the Franco Theater. No, it's not. And I'm gonna allow you five minutes on this next one because I know you actually want to say something about it. Thank you. But I, but then we <laughs> are gonna, be, but quicker. then we are moving fast because I want to get to the things we actually. Oh, have I know. I know. Nice I'm gonna even. Today. I'll give you two point five minutes so I can have more for the later. Okay, the, the most important thing here, Corpse Packs is Bags. Any of our listeners here, if you've never dug into what is still foolishly regarded as Giallo's ugly step-sibling, which is that of the crimi genre, um, German crime films, one, they're fucking great, and they'll have their day someday. But Some of Arthur, them. Arthur, well, well, yeah. Not all of them. So, well, just like Giallo. Well, there's a, as, there's a lot of shit and a lot of great. I'm the great thrower of water on the Giallo people because most of them are not that good. Same <laughs> with the Krimi. But when they're good, they're amazing. Yeah. And the same goes for spaghetti westerns. For any, like any, any subgenre, that's how it is. Yes. Uh, you're going to find way more things of curiosity than you are of substance. Yeah. 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 Okay. So uh, Arthur Bronner, again, working on this one. Early in his producing career, he made a movie called The Secret of the Black Suitcase from 1962, which is a fucking excellent crummy movie. Um, so he wanted to remake his own movie because he still owned it. <laughs> so that's the that was the genesis of this. Um, makes sense. So he taps Franco to do it, um, which makes perfect sense. because We already talked about a little uh the giallo inclinations early on and giallo and crimi are very they're close to each other so it makes a lot of sense um but a lot of the stuff that i think is important to talk about in this one is um just how much fun i think he's having with the crimi stuff and how much better he made this movie look than he needed to because he didn't have to go so hard with style there I actually think this is a very good Franco movie, genuinely. I, I don't know. I, I would say pacing-wise, it suffers. Visually, it is beautiful. It, yeah, in, in a way, I don't it's think more the pacing than... suffers until the third act, and then it's brutal. 
Yes, yes. And that's unfortunately so, uh, where you want the movie to kick in. So it's, it's like it so uh, long. Yeah. No, it really drags um at the end. But up to that point, I think it moves really well. The intrigue is fun. Uh the killer surprise. It's not really a good twist, but it's fun, so it doesn't matter. Just like lots of giallo, it doesn't really matter. Um, but I think what's important to notice here is how elegant it kind of is. And you see Franco do that with again when he could have just turned in a slapdash crime movie. It's a really visually elegant movie, and the Rolf Kuhn music is gorgeous and perfect for this one. Also, all the fisheye shit that Franco got started to get really obsessed with, starting with this movie. It's just worth mentioning, he did shoot this well over half a year before Clockwork Orange. So, when people want to give the fisheye love to only Kubrick for that, it was happening, not just here, but all over the place. Um, Well, yeah. And it would be happening more later as he progresses. And the, the following film, eh, again, <laughs> it's, you'd think a movie called by Franco made in 1971 called The Vengeance of Dr. Mabusa would be a, a just a real cookout. Unfortunately, it is uh, anything but that. Uh, the th- okay, what I will say, and I think all we really need to spend on this is that this is going pushing a little bit of a button closer to where he's about to go a couple films from now. Yeah, it, it's close there. You've got, uh, I believe we have not Morpho, but Andros back. Uh, the, as the monster. Orloff's back. Andros is back. Dr. Mabusa is also called Dr. Cranko, which is also my doctoral name <laughs> but also only in certain cuts this one i'm gonna annoy the shit out of john when we do the patreon one and how hard i'm gonna go on this one i'll yes. save it for then because i actually love this movie but of course you do but it's not good so let's put it that way it's also not bad though if again if you're going along with this journey and you've watched <laughs> as many as we have you will find pleasure in it if you sit down to watch this is like Hell yeah. If you sit down to watch this as part of Franco, you're fucked. If you sit down to watch this as I want to continue the Fritz Long Mabusa series, you're deeply in trouble. Even to like the point where the Krimis started doing Dr. Mabusa sequels, you're in trouble. Well, those are awful. All of Bronner's Krimi Mabusa really? ones from the 60s are awful. Truly awful experiences. <laughs> and this is pretty close to that, except you oh. have the personality of Franco shining a tiny little flashlight through this one particular movie and it's all the scenes that do not take place in this weird sheriff's office that i spatially i'm not sure where we're at i don't and i don't think franco knows well because this okay so the fun i'll be quick here too the fun here is that we get to see franco uh supposedly doing small town usa right on this border town next to mexico and apparently thinks that whatever this abandoned ghost town they found and just puts a cowboy hat on somebody (laughs) is enough to make them a sheriff which is abysmal all that stuff is terrible but there's not as much as i remembered there being and so the rest of the very Franco stuff, which like the abduction scene, um, there's an amazing seduction sequence that Franco probably focuses more on eyes than he has up to this point. Um, and there are like a, there's a lot of first person killing, which is very fun. 
Um, he's obsessed with that again here. And it's also psychedelic as shit when we're not in that small town. Yes, I guess. Yeah. So it's fun. Also, if we've talked about it a little but I, I'm sorry, but I still think, I think Lynch also has seen this one. There's a more than a little bit of Twin Peaks stuff in the Franco moments in this one. Also, Rob Zombie took everything from this movie. I've now realized. Well, that's probably true. That's probably true. So there you go. All you new metal heads, there's something to really connect to. Since we've spent 30 minutes on his shitty movies, we need to move faster to get to his movies that you are, are of worth. 15. We did 15 not Franco first. Let's keep going. Keep going. So uh, here are two that is are we're really going to blaze through. Virgin Report. Not good. Another one of these fucking Mondo movies, which I truly... This goes with what is it? Schoolgirl Report is the series. Yeah, so Schoolgirl Report is a German series that actually there are quite a few pretty good ones. Uh, most of them are terrible, but uh, Bronner, of course, saying that because that was a huge success in Germany. So he was like, let's make one also. I, unlike John, am a big Mondo movie fan. When Pinkerton comes on, I'm going to get him to talk Mondo with me sometime. But Great. I'll, I'll kick anyway. This movie, this movie is uh, kind of painful, but. Uh, the Franco-isms that come between stuff are great. And I love that Franco decided to not do any of the ethnographic trappings of Mondo movies. You don't actually know where you are for any of this stuff. So it doesn't matter at all. And instead we can celebrate moments like fake swamis putting their dicks in ant nests for real. That's really funny. We sure. get an amazing like Amazonian woman circumcising this boy with her like weird metal teeth. <laughs> so, and the if music those are the kind of if those are the kind of thrills you seek, then for that kind of movie, if you like Mondo movies, you'll find things to enjoy. But it's certainly not a good movie at all. Well, I would say get ready. You know, take good notice of the of the uh, Howard Vernon scenes because those scenes are going to pop up again in a movie <laughs> I would much rather talk about. But unfortunately, that's next episode, and that's Les Abranis. Wow. Yeah. That is going to show up in there. So now let's get through this goddamn period with one of the most brutal watches for my money thus far. Oh, Sexy Darlings, a.k.a. Robinson and his Tempestuous Slaves, a movie that takes 20 minutes to get to any fucking island or no, just no, it, it, to get no 20 minutes before tropical music shows up 30 <laughs> minutes before you get to this fucking island. And up until then, I can't even begin to tell you how boring and stupid of a movie you're sitting through until he gets to this tropical island where he runs into Jess Franco as a filmmaker awesome. and it gets sent into this kind of wonderfully slutty jungle harem. Yeah. And then it becomes literally the plot machinations of like a 90s like family comedy. It's shockingly stupid and basic how this movie ends well, it's, up. It's, it's based on UK comedies, which is why it sucks for so long. Because it's like a UK sitcom at the start. And almost none of the jokes work, but there's a great gag with uh, hair and boob pills. And also, sorry, talking monkeys are always funny. You won't talk me out of that. Um, it sucks, too, because they're just also reusing footage from Virgin Report, which they made at the same time. And so when... Howard Vernon is starring in a porno in this movie. Uh, it's just footage from <laughs> him and Virgin Report. 
Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. It also shows up in that. Yeah, I forget it. Yeah, shows. It's exactly the same. It's like technically kind of an extended different scene, but it's the same. It's the same fucking shit, and it's the same masks that they yeah. used in Virgin Report for one of the like you know exotic locales. Um, but yeah, this movie, if you are if you are someone who loves '60s British sitcoms, one, please don't ever hang out with us. Uh, I don't anything. I don't want to hear your recommendations on anything. Yeah, two you will have a great time though while everyone else suffers, except the monkey's awesome and the boob pills thing is funny. So this brings us <laughs> to finally for, I mean, we have sped through a very rough period of 1971 for Franco. He's not at the level that he was. However, he is about to take all of that fee all of these what we're assuming to be very dark, sad, bleak, uh, melancholy. And towards the end of 71, he is finally going to make that blossom uh, for his benefit. And he is making one of the hands-down masterpieces, the ding, ding, there goes your masterpiece bell. Finally, uh, we have 1971's Christina, Princess, of the erotic yep. or as you probably know it as a virgin among the living dead and just to address that real quick so the original cut is what we're talking about christian princess of eroticism we will cover a virgin among the living dead in genre line and just franco's relationship or lack thereof on the patreon so if you want to hear about that if we're sticking, like we said at the beginning, we're trying to stick to most readily available. So if you have the Kino Blu-ray that says Virgin Among the Living Dead, when you hit play, it plays this original cut first. You have yes. to go to the for the alternate. So we're talking about that. Which is great because not that that version, well, we'll get to it, but it's Princess of Eroticism is what you want. Well, and this is just, again, outside of Franco, we're back what i was saying with vampiros lesbos this is just a masterpiece of cinema it yep. doesn't it does we don't even have to say just franco <laughs> no, no no we're not making uh caveats or anything here this is as good as it gets this personally was the one that i many many years ago when i was just a like most some of you just a mild franco fan i liked a handful didn't really know what i wanted to watch next it was uh watching this film that truly like i was like there it is the light has just popped on i have to now watch everything because i i cannot let something slip through the cracks like for years i had this movie um so in many ways this could be the movie that sparked the idea to do this in uh, our subconsciouses but this is, uh, yes, this uh, concerns a woman named Christina who is basically going to essentially go find her family, a family she's never met, haunted by the death of a father she's also never met. Yeah. And she goes to basically meet her relatives in kind of another one of these Dracula-inspired sort of things where she stops at an inn. People say, don't go to the castle, don't go to the castle. She goes to the castle and she meets her family who has Howard Vernon, Britt Nichols. A lot of these people we have watched uh, populate these movies before. And while she's there, the movie turns into, 
how do you describe it? Surreal is almost beneath it, but it's too, it goes further because this, I would, I would personally, I would full ass call this an experimental movie. The first one in his career. I think that this is one of those things that you can watch it that way. And, yeah. uh, and as we're going to see with, uh, well, the follow-up film here, I think even more, you can look at that as experimental, but this is uh, very experimental, but it also isn't asking too much of you in the way, like something like female vampire might masterpiece, but offer it that may, you may not be uh, synced up with what it's doing. This movie you're going to sync up and it's like a mercilessly like 80 minutes too. And it feels like 10 this. Yeah. Oh, because it true. Also, if you're listening, we've talked about a lot, the tuning fork of Jess Franco and like when it starts to work with your ears and your vibrations, if you haven't found that yet and you have not watched this movie, this is the movie to do that. Absolutely. As soon and as it starts, you can feel it and, also, it, it works really well if you have trouble with Franco dialogue or that kind of stuff. Also, we're returning to him finally writing a fucking movie again after dealing with fucking Arthur. And it shows. It shows. You feel again, he cares back about to the this. world. Yes. And we're back yeah. to the world where people speak when they have something to say. They don't yeah. just talk to talk. <laughs> Absolutely. Which is why I can't stand most of those movies because dialogue with Franco when he's burdened and saddled by it oh it's his feels, it's what reveals the often thrown around bullshit that people like to say that he's not a good filmmaker these are the, those are the kind of things that don't help him it's when he is completely untethered to the poles of normal filmmaking that he excels because he doesn't go he's not like going completely off page he's 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 you know, subtly moving through his paces, but there it, it becomes so um, phantasmagorical. And this movie, because I, I I really don't want to like spoil a lot no, about this movie. So I think, if you haven't seen the only like the shit, it goes to gothic horror levels, but it's not typically what you would say a gothic horror movie. No, and it's not as gothic as the trilogy that he'll start with the next movie we talk about. But with this one, one of the things that I think is so special is, well, of course, we have Bruno Nicolai is always um, Howard Vernon, maybe having the most fun we've seen him have yet. Oh, I think. Like he's really maybe his best performance. Um, also, earlier, when we alluded to a woman that could potentially try to show down with Soledad. That's my queen, Britt Nichols. Yeah. And she's been in a couple already, but this is the first time we're really starting to see her be given the chance to go off. Oof. And she doesn't have Soledad's eyes, but holy shit, she is very powerful. And Absolutely. she is what really like the way, again, we don't want to spoil too much because if you haven't seen it, but the way that she uh, exists and moves throughout this movie uh, is the absolute definition of seduction. Like, <laughs> she doesn't need to say a word. It's Absolutely. amazing. Um, and I love the tinfoil hat thrower thing. I don't know if you read it, but he goes down the rabbit hole of wondering if this is Juliet, if this is Justine's sister. I, I, I think that I, I could see that <laughs> because in many ways, this movie, like, is, like, if you are a fan of the first 
of Eugenie historian and perversion. If you're a fan of Eugenie de Sade, this, you know, I don't think it's like a sequel, but it is a spiritual follow-up to those Paul Muller characters because his absence in this movie and as much as you see of him, we don't get much background, but I think the background that is supposed to be implied is looking towards the sins of the father, so to speak, of his character in those two movies. But this is also, a, um, I think, a really great... I pulled up the quote um, because I think it's so important for this transition in Franco and also why a thing we've talked about a lot, why when he does do Desaad, it's not necessarily a home run as far as Desaadian things. Yeah. The way Thrower puts it here, and I couldn't agree more, he says, this movie suggests Franco at war with himself. The would-be Saudian brought up in a Catholic culture, the convivial lover of women excited by the spectacle of tortured female flesh, the tormented agnostic uh, tugged and pulled between amoral freedom and the terror of eternal punishment. And I think that is why Franco hits it so much out of the park here, because he loves Desaad, but he's also a very Catholic boy throughout his life. And all of that comes together in a movie that is really, I think, um, sad for this character in an interesting way, because this easily could have been a fucking awesome banger of a skin flick, right? Like this would be a great softcore porno if yeah. he wanted to just go that route. But instead there's a lot of like genuine sadness, I think about it's this journey and about someone who just desperately, desperately wishes she knew her father and and had family to latch on to and it's yeah. so beautiful like yeah. this is this is his most i think emotional and stunning work up to this point i would 100 percent agree uh the music's great it's funny uh when yeah. it needs to be and uh and yeah it's it's just uh everyone in it is is operating exactly like you want them to it's yeah. it's a perfect movie. So Franco's last one, I promise. Franco's moment in this, he does something involving a clock towards the end of the film, and it could not be more uh, indicative of how he feels about his career up to this point. I think, and it's Absolutely. fucking incredible. Absolutely, another very Lynchian moment. Yeah, yeah. And and let us just say we're not using Lynchian in the way that some people like to use Lynchian as a catch-all for strange or anything we mean no, very specifically. very specifically in literature to the point that it is nobody i mean you'd be a fool you'd have to really talk yourself out of uh trying to like say that he was not watching these movies because what will is talking about this sequence i don't want to get into it um it very much kind of correlates to a spatial displacement um that we saw in venus and furs with all the victims standing around that 100% is pointing towards the black lodge, the red room, whatever you want to say with twin peaks, that is absolutely happening with these yeah. movies. So pretty yeah, good. So I want to get gut punched in a genuinely beautiful and sad, but also very sexy movie. This is, this is the, this is the gym. That's the one. And now, Oh, we we have moved far away from where it's uh, stinker after stinker because now it's heater after heater. Only heat, too much heat. <laughs> he, he's he's taking his fiber supplements. He is dropping nuggets right yep. now. Okay, <laughs> you. Um, so 
And this next one, before John says it, we're talking about the Spanish cut. Yes. Um, and we'll get into that again on the Patreon if you want to hear about the others. But this is the, if you watch the DVD that is, or the Blu-ray that's available, this is what you're watching. And we will also get into more that we could say about this so-called trilogy in a Patreon, because this makes you almost want to go into uh, where Spanish cinema is with gothic horror and we are going to avoid that and we'll save that for a very special patreon that we know will tantalize you we'll have we one that just talk- Franco versus nashi full on i mean we probably will i mean we're gonna <laughs> yeah. have to. we're just I gonna mean, have to yeah <laughs> so there it is if you want the patreons two patreons coming up one where we're talking about genre lawn and then another where we're going to be talking nashi and then maybe shit we'll just do a third one involving all of spanish horror and kind of how he fits in to this because that is key in a good way to kind of differentiate him and also show why he is more than the sum of the font of terror parts that are going to erupt so this is the film he also shot the same months as uh christina princess of eroticism and that is the sadly hard to find uh dracula prisoner of frankenstein one of those movies you as a kid and you get older you just wish exists because there are a lot of movies where they pair dracula with frankenstein there's the there's the real the jean negulusco dracula versus frankenstein that is terrible there's uh some stuff that nashi did uh, assignment terror specifically we'll get into those later uh, I mean, even fuck what Hammer was doing with like pairing Dracula with Cheng Chen in like uh, it's Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires. Dracula is sort of floating around in a kind of nebulous space. It's doing the and, monster match. Yeah, and and he's <laughs> not really done too uh, well in some of these other movies, but. Lo and behold, a movie that probably gets confused with the Jean Negulesco film, Dracula, Prisoner of Frankenstein. Is that movie you want? This is those Edward C. Kenton, House of Dracula, House of Frankenstein. House of Frankenstein especially. Very much so. And (laughs) and, yes, absolutely. And this is those movies like, how how do I put this? In free jazz mode. (laughs) But then also with an an incredible thing that I forgot how much he commits to with this one is it's as if he watched, he rewatched Christina when they finished and was like, yeah, that was awesome. But man, everyone talked too much. And so in this one, glad you, you said have basically asylum hero dialogue for 30 minutes. And after that, it really doesn't pick up much anyway. When the dialogue happens, you don't need it. No. Well, I mean, I guess well, well, there's a couple, people, but it's you know, to know oh, a certain man. other monster is about to appear. You might need the. It's going to be a little like what? You might not know it's a wolf. Also. Yeah, you. <laughs> you're going to need a character to say the wolf man is coming. Yeah. Okay. Other than yeah, that, like that's the only essential piece of dialogue. Like House of Frankenstein, Ghost of Frankenstein, House of Dracula, in a blender with Mad Monster Party. And some, for whatever reason, gorgeous experimental European art house movies that are largely silent, then you get this. But somehow that still feels like it's a kid playing with their fucking toys, mashing shit together, pure, like, uncut imagination with a really 
sad adult who's curious about the world and also again loves really hot people because Brent Nichols is back again. <laughs> yeah. And I think what you said with Ghost of Frankenstein also, like it's very much those Earl C. Kenton yeah. films that definitely are a little looser. Like they're not like the Roland V. Lee or the James Whale films. We'll talk about Roland V. Lee probably in relation to Franco at the end of this episode, but uh these films are 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 strange um even stranger than like the roy william neal uh frankenstein meets the wolfman those are a little more straight laced but um yeah this is uh this is that movie and i i i guess you can just say plot wise it involves dracula trying to enslave frankenstein and create an army of monsters you fucking it, it's you could say it's the plot it's, of Van helsing it doesn't uh, well, Dunham's greatest role in his entire fucking career. I'll fight anyone on that. Well, Cagliostro has not shown up yet. Does he not yet in this? No, no. That's oh, a, did I jump? I did jump. Sorry. Hey, yeah. this is fair because I mean, Doctor Frankenstein is still is played by Dennis Price, and both we're very yes. excited. We want well, to. Howard Vernon is Dracula, but he's not. Sorry. Yeah. These because these movies are too good. It's hard. To, they're all just one beautiful ball inside of me. But um, Morpho's in this, so Morpho's back. Guess who's back? We have to make a Morpho song sometime. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, this is just one of those movies that I can't. I don't know how much we can really like tap into like um, getting into plot specifics. We might. This might be a little shorter. That it might seem how much we love this movie because. This is like music, this film. This is Franco at its most free. And you really have to just give yourself over to the visuals of this one because it is really, um, you know, it, it really drills in on kaleidoscopic horror imagery just completely mashed around together. And it's it's less about plot, narrative. It's It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with, um the images these iconic images of horror and gothic horror sort of paraded in this very experimental fashion i i think the only way to truly unlock this movie is to look at it as you're not watching something meant to be straightforward at all this is uh kenneth anger doing house of frankenstein you yeah. know maybe not kenneth anger specifically, like, but you know this is a weird way to say it but you know, when you watch, it rarely happens these days, but when you watch a documentary that shows you something that feels so pure and untouched by the presence of a camera that it, like, you know, knocks the wind out of you a little bit. That sounds so silly for a movie that's so silly, but this movie feels like that because it's so pure. Like, what is going on and how he's playing feels like you're getting to witness something that's much more pure than movies normally are. Yeah, it's hard to imagine this actually being made. Yeah. In a, in the best way possible. And um, yeah, the, again, this is a very hard movie to find. We can talk about it ad nauseum. We have probably more to say. So we're going to cut it there to let you know that we have a lot to say and you should pay us to hear what we have to say <laughs> about this movie. Because trust yeah, me, it is, the, we have a lot to add to this. Real yeah. quick, this movie, it is funny and weird. This movie doesn't actually have a score because it's just a mashup of Nikolai's scores 
for Justine and Count Dracula, <laughs> which also lets you know how much Jess was like, I have to feel better about that fucking tragic situation that was when I made Count Dracula. And it's awesome. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to reuse it and then I can sleep at night again. It's great. Absolutely. And clearly the universal horror, like the music is meant to sound like the score to the Wolfman. It's, um, yeah. Yep. Anyway, so uh, highest of recommendations. Maybe a friend of ours will put that out on Blu-ray one day. Yeah, here's hoping. Here's hoping. So, uh, unfortunately, we'll tell you where you can find that on the Patreon if you want to track it down. Now, we are moving on to the following year. It's only been a couple of months have gone by, and he's like, let's make another movie. Uh, this might be the one dip that doesn't fully work for me in here, but there's a lot to chew on with this movie, and it's uh, Dracula's Daughter. This is a movie that shocked me as a kid because, or uh, young adult, whenever I saw this movie, because it is not uh, the gothic horror romp you think it's going to be. This is basically Jalo territory. Like Yeah. yeah. It's, well it's 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 Jalo like with the bait and switch. Um I guess it depends on how much of a mouth breather you want to be to decide if Jalo can have supernatural stuff, but regardless, there's a lot of Jalo love in this movie. It's all that matters. Yes. And the supernatural <laughs> stuff, I guess you could say, is there. It's it's almost there in that comic strip way. It's less it seems less tethered to like the story could actually be supernatural where these characters are just fucking crazy. <laughs> because yeah, it's kind of Christina, Princess of Eroticism. Character goes to learn about their history, uh, their family. Probably the most striking sequence and the most dreamlike is the one that I think gets criticized the most, which is weird to me. And it's where the mom is explaining, here's a key. If you want to learn about your history, you need to go into the basement, which is yeah. just a strange, dreamy thing to be told. And without buildup or anything, she wanders into this dungeon-like basement to be surprised by a very grinning Howard Vernon back as Dracula. Wait. Just got a shout out. Truly one of my favorite Dracula portrayals is how Howard Vernon does it. I fucking love it. I think it's so such a weird idea that works to do it this way. That he's just a grinning cat <laughs> in both. In the last one and in this one, Howard Vernon is just a grinning cat Dracula. And I think it's pretty kind of it's kind of fucking awesome. And also highlights that Franco was like, we've talked about that motherfucker enough. Let's talk about the ladies. Because that's what all these Dracula things are. That's why Vampiris Lesbos hit so hard. Because he was like, I actually don't care about Dracula. But I care about uh, his descendants who are all women. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, it's just shocking of a reveal of what's in this basement is like Jerry Lewis's One More Time. Where... <laughs> Fucking bumbling, uh, isn't it? Uh, Sammy Davis Jr. is like bumbling around in a, and he, he oh, I, oh, I found the secret compartment. He goes down to this basement. Now, this is a movie about spies, has yep. nothing to do with anything involving monsters. And Sammy Davis goes into the basement, and there's Peter Cushing as Dr. Frankenstein and Christopher Lee as Dracula just sitting down there being like, oh, hello. And then he, <laughs> ooh, and then he runs back upstairs, and that's, all you ever see of it so bizarre so strange one wonders why it was even done but i would say this has that kind of a similar feel uh yeah. in that reveal but 
I do think that this movie, uh, in terms of what it does with eyes looking very menacingly through little cracks is very much foreshadowing some Argento stuff. It's very much foreshadowing, uh, uh, black Christmas. Um, so there's, there's a lot to like in this, even though it, there's a, there's maybe a little too much dialogue. Uh, but, but it thankfully is normally pretty packed in and then you get another like 20 minutes without dialogue. And some of the, I think, uh most fascinating and engaging sex scenes thus far um we get a really we we get a wonderfully interesting turn um for a woman you know being supposedly naive whatever turning into basically a predator um this like intense uh sort of i guess abusive lesbian um and it's really interesting. And the 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 sex scenes, and again with Britt Nichols, <laughs> uh, the sex scenes I think are really stunning in this. Um, and it's one of the first times uh, for me that they really start to have a lot of meat to them. I guess is how I would say it. Like there's, it doesn't feel just cut together from whatever they shot that day to me. These these scenes feel much more intentional. I think, and they're beautiful. I would agree. Um, so there Daniel is. White and Jess are back doing music together and it slaps Daniel White was clearly like thank you buddy I missed you <laughs> yes yes oh well he's not there for the next one though so he goes back into the his little cubby so that uh, Franco can shoot a movie in between this trilogy we're talking about um, which you know we're, we'll probably not spend a lot of time on this but it is also not that bad no it's, i think i think this is pretty good pretty interesting too this it, it, is a, one of the most overtly political um since we've yeah. been oh by far the most overtly political because it is yeah. a pretty sobering affair it's not this is because you can tell that okay so we're talking about devil's island lovers um well, and that lovers. widescreen too that yes. he was shooting in at that time yeah Gorgeous. So this is the Spanish version also. We'll get into the French version, which is a, quite a bit different um, on the Patreon. But the Spanish version uh, does not give you a lot of what you expect from a women in prison film. So we don't really need to do the plot because it's exactly what all women in prison films are, basically, except this one's a little whatever. I guess there's a little more to it because uh, it's about a lawyer who's mad that this couple was wrongfully imprisoned. And they are on this island, just like we were with 99 women, where there's the dude side and the lady side. Uh, and this lawyer is trying to investigate and figure out uh, how to get them out, prove their innocence. Um, but it doesn't do, it barely does any of the things you expect mostly from women in prison movies, which is lots of lesbian stuff. Um, one of the most interesting, because of how political Franco was being, I think, is that in this one, you don't get prisoners being violent to each other outside of one instance. Um, and that's because that one instance, the person they're violent towards is working directly for the warden. And so the prisoners are kind of united in this one. And yeah. Franco seems really fucking furious, especially with the really dour, dour ending that we won't spoil. Very dour. Really furious that, uh, he's very much saying 
individual sins, no matter what they were, that lead you to a place like this can never, never even come close to comparing to the sins that the state is committing. Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of, yeah, and it's really, sobering is the right word, like you said. It's This is a really surprisingly um, pretty sad, pretty sad movie. It is, and it is soundtracked by the great Bruno Nicolai again, so... You know, you get to, it goes down easy, even though it is so sad. Yep. Now, and there's a laser. And there's a, <laughs> yeah. now yes. our man is clearing some space right now because he's saying, I am finally ready to deliver maybe the greatest. And, I, and I'm, I, I wouldn't have said this previously before doing this, maybe the greatest of this so called gothic trilogy. I would have probably chosen Dracula Prison of Frankenstein previously. Yep. Now that is a masterpiece, but I don't think there is much to be mm-hmm. fucked with in regards to this next movie, which is called The Erotic Rites of Frankenstein. Now, we're talking little... about the French version. Sorry to keep doing that. I just want folks to know if they are watching. And Will got a little ahead of himself by saying Cagliostro earlier. This is what Will was referring to, and I can understand why he was so excited. Cagliostro, played by Howard Vernon, how he fits into a movie called The Erotic Rites of Frankenstein. Well, Cagliostro is like (laughs) old character from like literature. He's essentially a historical figure, kind of like a Nostradamus, this alchemist uh, who... He had a few movies based around him before, but he was mostly uh, for literary fantasy. So he's being resurrected, uh, so to speak, by Franco for this movie. And Cagliostro is now basically doing the job that Dracula couldn't finish from Dracula, Prisoner of Frankenstein. And he is after Dr. Frankenstein and his monster to basically... Uh, enslave an immortal army of the undead to, you know, take over. So, Cagliostro, at the very beginning of the movie, is joined by his slutty, murderous assistant, Melissa the Bird Woman, played by Anne uh, Liebert. Anne Liebert is another powerhouse, just astonishingly beautiful person. And we didn't mention her in Virgin or uh, Christina because she does play a character called Queen of the Night in that who is going to like some of these other characters is going to show up a few more times in the Franco verse. And she's amazing. She is also like her. Well, her and Britt Nichols basically started at the same time in Franco verse. And they're almost always together, at least in a couple scenes. And you can tell these two love and respect each other because they are amazing together. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Dr. Seward is back from (laughs) Vampiros Lesbos and uh, Dracula Prisoner Frankenstein. And also Britt Nichols is playing the daughter of the awful Dr. Orloff. (laughs) So this is very much kind of... His own House of Frankenstein of characters that he kind of helped push along because yeah. even so much more that like Frankenstein, the monster now is less of uh, the monster we know. And now this garishly, uh, you know, lightning silver looking monster. He he uh, he looks like something out of a gay porno version of the Frankenstein story. 
True. He kind of tells you he's from Frankie and his pals. Yeah. Uh, the SOV one. Um, he's he's not meant to look like the like as much as he's playing it like uh, to the pleasure of the films that he loves from Universal. You know, I, I mean, he's getting closer to that Italian comic book style with this movie, and it's just absolutely a pleasure to look at. Uh, Morpho also yeah. shows up at the beginning, played none other by Jess Franco. Yes, and having a blast. Having a blast. Having a blast. And uh, we won't get into the plot because it's you can watch it, but what's most important are the images. Oh, that they're we so strong. They are so strong. The fact that this Melissa the Bird Woman so quickly stops being the dumbest, most like confounding thing and it becomes beautiful and like enrapturing. It's yeah. crazy. It's all her performance. Because also the sound effects should be stupid. It shouldn't work because she's going, ah! <laughs> yeah, it, it all, none of this movie should work. Let me put no. it And this she's also should... like, you can't see. So she's always just kind of looking up at the sky a little bit cross-eyed. And yeah. all of it should just make you giggle. But it's sexy. It's kind of scary. It's very beautiful. It's, Her telepathic oh. link with Cal, uh, Cagliostro oh. is just, it says so much about Franco's ideas about filmmaking and something he's going to show more and more and more throughout his movies. But, you know, it, it is something beautiful and it's, it's completely delirious. There's a great whipping scene that I don't want to spoil, but the imagery. The first, the first oh. proper whipping scene, in my opinion, thus far in the career of Franco. We finally get a real one involving just the one of the most beautifully nasty psychological torture ideas to do to people while a bunch of people watch and enjoy it. And it's delicious. It's and not just anybody. Not just an like, army of the undead looking like out. made up of of like you know everything from incredible like i assume old masks from other countries all the way to dollar store masks all the way to people with like one smear of makeup to gorgeous costumes but they're all part of this world and again we're doing fish eye heavy but it all it all works and it's so hypnotic oh yeah, I mean, it, 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 it honestly, the cheapness of some of it, the flaws are the things that help it uh, kind of reach this incredibly feveristic pitch. And it's, uh, yeah, it, it has that, you know, that Halloween mask aesthetic. It, it's all pure aesthetics, really. Yep. And it's again, again highlights how Jess's biggest strength, I think, which is finding people and bringing them into his universe that can transcend that stuff. Yeah. Like if anyone but Ann Liebert did that role, we would be giggling about how stupid but fun this movie is. But she truly, you can tell she was like, okay, this is not a joke. I'm going to become this bird lady, but I'm going to make it fucking sing. <laughs> it's so Absolutely. good. Yeah. It's so good. And this movie also is, oddly emotional it's another one because franco's cooking so hard he can't help it but put very real emotionality into these should be stupid characters yeah i mean uh the soundtrack again is fantastic it's no score this time it's a made up of uh library cues from 
your various KPM, whatever you want to have you, um, library things. Now, the one thing that I think uh, Mr. Thrower, Mr. Stephen Thrower is uh, maybe pleasuring himself a little too much in his description of the music in that he compares it to the BBC Radiophonic Workshop jamming with Derek Bailey. I'm going to have to call excitement on that, maybe a little bullshit. I... I, I am not hearing that. I hear some, I guess you could say electronic BBC radiophonic thing, whatever, some Dahlia Derbyshire. I, I don't know. I would uh, I would urge Thrower to go back through the, the work of Derek Bailey. Uh, I mean, but I but I get it, and I think it's I think he's like you said, unintentionally just overexcited because this movie, he was probably like us, where he was like, Yeah, this movie's awesome. And then he rewatched it and he was like, Wow, I'm an idiot. This movie is also a masterpiece and got so hyped up and then immediately pumped out that capsule. And so he couldn't, yeah, which it's okay. We'll forgive you. I'll forgive you. I, I love Derek Bailey. He's <laughs> one of my favorite artists of all time. And so that's why I'm going to say I'm not hearing it, but <laughs> I would love to have heard the score that Stephen Thrower heard in his mind, but the score we have the score is, is awesome. score is pretty good as is. So I will forgive him that, uh, that tantalizing description that would send the normal like music head running to hear something <laughs> like that. Well, it's good. Maybe he convinced people who wouldn't have watched it normally to do it with that. But I, yeah, I think, I think it's like his getting so excited about potentially Juliet being uh, in the other one, like being that story. Uh, yeah. I think this period of Franco's films, he just got a little zooted. That's okay. You know, we, Fair like, enough, we are too. I get it. I get it very much. He made. This streak of movies in a row, just fucking, yeah, Christina through the last one we're going to talk about is better than most people's whole ass career. It really is. Like <laughs> That's unfortunately true. And, yeah, and he did it in a year. So. <laughs> yeah. So let's round this episode out to prove that we can get 13 in a decent yep. amount of time. And yeah, we're giving you a lot of big recommendations to check out here. So, and if, you know, fortunately, we get to end on another recommendation. A fantastic, it could be one of those movies how you could really get someone on board with Franco if they're not fully on board. Like, I, yeah. I, I could see this movie being one of the beginners because it does resemble more of um, a traditional movie, but it is not Franco playing it sober. No, it's like if you got if, if you have a friend who's a big Euro horror head, but for some reason, or I guess more specifically, a, a Euro genre head, not just horror, um, this is the Franco to show them to convince them it's worth it. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Franco's um, back, uh, retreading, and in my opinion, uh, making himself feel better, uh, even though there's a lot to be loved in The Bloody Judge. Um Going going back in and being like, you know what, guys, let's go full non-sploitation with this. We'll bring back another evil dude, much like the bloody judge, but I got more to cook on. And god damn it, does he cook? 
Fuck. Way more to cook on. Score wise, I mean, another fantastic score by uh, the, the French composer Jean Bernard Retou, who was also his other name was Jean Michel Lorgeret, but he was mostly known under the name Jean Bernard Retou. And this is one psychedelic ass score for a movie that doesn't seem like it would uh, warrant that. I will say that, you know what, I'll give Thrower that it kind of sounds like can. I'll give him that. Fine. Sure. Sure. <laughs> Do you know what? I'll even take it to crazier lengths. It sounds a little like the opening of, uh, if you want to get out of Germany, like something like Funkadelics, uh, Free Your Mind, Your Ass Will Fall <laughs> It it it's psychedelic guitar music. Uh, it's a little kitschy, but there are moments where it's like truly transcendent, and you're like, I kind of need the soundtrack separately. It works so well. Um, it's that tension again we were talking about, but it works perfectly here. I think even though Franco was not happy with how it went down, um, because one of the unfortunate things that happens when you make twenty seven thousand movies at once and immediately are making four more. Uh, some of the people paying for the movie went ahead and did finish the soundtrack stuff when Franco wasn't around. But it's interesting because the filmmaker who finished the music cues is uh, Gerard Kikwan, however you say his name, I've never known how to say it, who made a lot of like really cool French sex films and then eventually would get to making Edge of Sanity with uh, uh, Perkins, Anthony Perkins. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so cool filmmaker, but he actually finished setting the music for this so franco was not entirely happy but uh i yeah i i think i'm glad it went this way because it's pretty cool because he made a really like borderline correct me if you think i'm wrong here but i think he made a almost austere movie at times and uh put pushing it up against that funk score uh works really fucking well i, I agree i think like so plot in a nutshell we're dealing with um let's just let me get the year right well it, it's around the time when uh people are being tortured for being witches i guess you would say the 16th century 15th century um yeah. but it's where uh, the jokes in like monty python uh holy grail comes where they they ask like how you tell if someone's a witch Right. That kind of shit comes from this era. And yeah. that's what yeah. and this film is less uh I think trying to get in on the like the success of the devils and way more trying to get in on like the Witchfinder general sort of bandwagon. So it involves uh, these characters, Lady De Winter, uh, I think liberally borrowed from Three Musketeers, and then also <laughs> yeah. a character named Rinfield. <laughs> yes. Uh, very liberally borrowed from uh, Dracula. And uh, also, Lord Chief Justice Jeffries, he's back, folks, and it's not Christopher Lee this time, and you kind of wish it were, but that's my one issue with the movie, So I wish it was Christopher Lee in that role. But but I think it would kind of distract, honestly. I kind of love that, because the stars of the show are, again, our two girls we keep talking about here. They're back again. Well, right. And so finishing the plot, like Will's saying, there you kind of have the the Justine characters. So you have these these characters that I mentioned, Rinfield, Lord Justice Jeffries, and Lady De Winter. They are the ones who are looking uh through the church to find witches and execute them. There are two sisters, very much calling back to Justine, uh, who live in a nunnery, who um 
at one point are believed because their mother was burned for being a witch that the two of them might be witches now in your typical movie of this time no one's a witch and it is these psycho uh christian zealots uh creating more murder than these witches well the one they capture ann liebert to be the witch is not a witch um but her sister who they don't capture in the twist is a witch so hottest witch in history so yeah so you get you get justine you get this nun thing which she's going to do later to more uh literal uh a plume but (laughs) you have kind of a venus and furs revenge movie too um involving the sister going after that the witch sister then going after the witch hunters and uh you know again i'm pretty sure uh paul verhoven uh has seen this movie before he made something like benedetta a lot there's so much there's oh. so fucking much yeah from benedetta um, that came from this movie even the way like not necessarily with how the camera moves but the very long but again i think worthwhile and beautiful sex scenes in this one benedetta also was remembering those <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah it's very interesting um what this movie is because it is less of like how the bloody judge is like them trying to be like very historically accurate this movie's kind of like fuck that like yeah. it's, it's like you guys know how much these nuns masturbated for sure i'm gonna show you mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and the great movie. scenes though like not it's a cra- it's one of those rare perfect moments when you love you know sleazier things like we do where it truly works entirely though and nothing like not a single one of these uh salacious scenes feels like it was there just because it would sell better no like they all feel like they are part very much part of the story and they make sense in the world that we are inhabiting um yeah they all they all truly build towards <laughs> where this fucking movie goes which is incredible <laughs> yeah and, and and i think like we'll get into the cuts on the on on the patreon this is but, the uh, french one 118 minutes the french one yes and uh yeah i just think like what separates this let's take it back to round this out we'll take it back to the beginning was she killed in ecstasy in this this is the time where the music and we mentioned the music already but i will say just like this is where the music shouldn't work in the way that she killed an ecstasy does and yet it does work for it she killed an ecstasy it feels like a sore thumb sticking out so what kind of wraps all these films up narratively is this kind of use of music that franco is drilling in on that he starts with with she killed an ecstasy coming to the demons and learning how to take stuff that would take you out of the picture now he makes that work for the picture and even more importantly for him as an artist and in that regard we are seeing uh him get closer and closer if we're not already there yet in most people's estimation to that alchemical outside of reality and bounds of traditional movie making franco so see more towards why someone like tarantino is so obsessed with him and i do think and sometimes tarantino can get it right but 
it only highlights, I think, Jess's, like you said, actually, alchemical strength here, because I think Tarantino can be a little too trapped with his feet on the ground to get to this level. But it's yeah. clear that not just the other stuff we've talked about, but also with that use of like anachronistic music that shouldn't work in a time period movie, Quentin tries to do it, and it clearly comes from Jess, you know? Yeah, like it's, it's yeah I, I, I think it comes from that. I think it also comes from, like, the fact that, like, kung fu movies at that time would just reuse scores from, like, yes. other... I think that may also be... I've never... Yeah. If we really... Yeah, I think you're right. I think it does come from stuff like this and also, like, yeah, how... Yeah. Yeah, how, like, suddenly taxi driver score shows up in a in a like a a Street Fighter movie or something, and you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, no, but I do I I do see what you're saying. I mean, this is one of those times where music stands out at, that would normally feel like it stands apart, and yet it stands within the film. And the Tarantino is apt because this is less of him trying to do a historical film and more of like him wrapped up doing a kind of a bunch of genres in one. I think you're going to find more out of the movie. If you look at it as a, uh, a sort of a tripping through the garden of these certain like witch finder movies, these nun movies, these horror movies, you know, um, psychedelic softcore movies. It's all that kind of in a blender. Yep. And it's, and it's shockingly, but it's better than most of them. (laughs) way better i mean a lot of those genres it's really it's weird it's genuinely a little suspicious how good this movie is i agree (laughs) and it and it shows that um well coming off of such a hot period he might have to kind of take a couple l's uh in his next couple movies but that doesn't mean he's down for long i'm looking at what the next show is and yeah, there's a couple L's for sure. There's some that people like more than others, but there is a lot of good stuff to oh. talk about in this next episode. In yeah. places, the things yeah. you think are going to be good might not be the best. And the ones you were like, what the fuck is this? Might blow you away. Mm-hmm. So we will. I'm t- excited. I think we're going to fight a lot on this next one, but in a constructive way that'll be enjoyable for those of you listening. This next one is really going to show how well we can model this new idea. I don't know how far we are over. This might just be long, but we're not because we didn't start. We didn't even start recording to like one oh seven, and we talked about other shit for fifteen minutes. So I think we're perfect. Well, look at that. Yep, we did it once again, folks. So, uh, I hope you're enjoying this. I hope you're enjoying this more now that we're not going to stretch this out to infinity and we are going to be able to really talk about this guy in digestible chunks. Yeah. So as we, as we said before, though, let us know if you, if you like something different, if you would rather us more get into plots of stuff, we can, um, you know, we just thought there's, you know, the way the, the way the world of the internet and podcasts work, there's endless places you can just listen to people read facts and plots and shit. So we yeah, you know what? You're not going to get plots from us. If that's your request, you're not getting it because <laughs> here's why. Here's why I can't stand these fucking dumb podcasts. Now I'm now I'm mad. <laughs> it's because they spend the entire time reading through these IMDb descriptions, 
they just get into like every beat. It's why I had to quit writing for a certain publication because certain writers just went through the beats of the story to the point where you're like, what, why would I watch this? Obviously it's going to be better than the way this dummy is describing it. But like, what was the point of me reading this? I've always, and I know you feel the same way, prefer things that whet your appetite, give you just enough, but still gives you plenty of mystery to go ahead and watch it on your own. This is why we, it's like we provide, if we're doing it right, we give you some shit. Maybe you didn't know about, right. You know, but again, not doing that wiki warrior shit. Um, give you some shit you didn't know about. And then hopefully it feels like we were all at a party together and we got fucking stoked talking about erotic rights of Frankenstein or whichever one it was to the point that when you woke up from your hangover, you were like, I've got to put that shit on. I can't, can't stop thinking about it. That's what we're trying to do. (laughs) We just want to tantalize you. We want to tickle your, your fanny a little, you know, (laughs) that's all we want to do. And uh, we want you to take it from there. So, Uh, Yeah, we got two more shows before we take a little bit of a longer break between these, just so we're not... It won't be very long, but... It won't be very long, but these next two are going to be pretty jam-packed with this first half of his career, and then we're basically halfway. (laughs) And uh, Yeah, kind of. And then... And then we get to go into the late 70s and the 80s. Oh, boy. And that's where some of the real heat is embedded in there and that's also where there are a couple that uh i want to make you watch with me because uh i don't know if you can make it through without your phone or without going to do something else (laughs) yeah i've maybe already gotten to some of those and i've already wondered i probably could have done laundry in this speaking of which my shit's done in the dryer all right all right on that note <laughs> As always, giving you details nobody needs. Our shit is done in our collective dryer, so we'll see you soon I'm for another round of Franco. Time to go forward. To awaken me. Goodbye. Wow.